How big of a return can you expect while investing in something that is still federally illegal? How do cannabis stocks compare to other industries? On this episode of Cannabis Business Minds, we talk about cannabis and investing. We'll dive deep into investing in the cannabis industry, and we'll talk about some of the common misconceptions about cannabis publicly traded companies. Our guest began his career on Wall Street in 1986. He's the founder of 420 Investor, and he's a frequent speaker at industry conferences, and he's a leading source to the media, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fox Business, and Bloomberg. TV. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Let's give a warm welcome to the prolific watchdog of the cannabis investing scene, Alan Brockstein, founding partner at New Cannabis Ventures and founder at 420 Investor. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. I mean, we didn't even give you an intro. Your background is so impressive. You started Wall Street in 1986. You know, you entered into the cannabis space in 2013, founding partner, as Kristen mentioned, in, you know, these two ventures. Can you talk to us a little bit about your background and, you know, your evolution and how you've gotten to be where you are today in 2017? Sure. It's, it's actually not anything I would have ever expected. Uh, and I still get sneers from people who've known me for a long time. Uh, very traditional kind of Wall Street background. And uh, I was working uh, in portfolio management uh, at a firm that was managing about $500 million uh, for uh, mainly for institutions, but also high net worth individuals. And I went off on my own in 2006 from that and was working as an independent analyst. And I guess I was fortunate because in 2013, when I stumbled onto the fact that there were publicly traded cannabis companies, except we called it marijuana back then, uh, uh, I was really free to kind of go with it. And uh, it, it turned out it really resonated with me because uh, as a lifelong uh, small L libertarian, sometimes a, a big L libertarian as well uh, back in the day, uh, always a, a, an advocate of cannabis, but I was really ignorant. I just knew it was right, but I didn't know much about it. And, uh, you know, it had my own uh, experiences with cannabis uh, for a very brief part of my time uh, on this planet, but it had been, I don't know, like 20 years. So I was really disconnected when I stumbled into it in uh, early 2013, and it was a great opportunity for me to kind of mesh what I was good at, which was doing analysis, uh, and also working with individuals. Uh, I, I was, uh, while I was working with primarily uh, institutions uh, providing independent research, I was also doing a couple of things with different groups of individuals who were subscribing uh, to my uh, newsletter. I had two different news letters, and uh, so it all kind of came together, and uh, I ended up launching 420 Investor at the end of 2013, but after I did a lot of research on uh, the social issues, the health and wellness issues, and uh, really catching, you know, trying to get up to speed, and uh, that's something that continues to this day. Very cool. Very cool. And then how about your evolution from, you know, 420 Investor to New Cannabis Ventures? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, sure. So uh, one of the first things I learned was that the publicly traded stocks don't really reflect uh, the promise of the cannabis industry. And uh, just like in the publicly traded sector, there's a, a lot of news and noise out there. And uh, I think that it's a, and it remains a very fragmented market. There are a lot of people who are uh, trying to start cannabis businesses, looking for investors, uh, and 
uh, unfortunately, on both sides, uh, a lot of these, I don't know, I'll call them posers maybe, but uh, there are a lot of people out there that uh, are really just trying to take advantage of people and aren't really legitimate. And uh, so New Cannabis Ventures was kind of formed positively to connect both the investors and the real businesses and, and also, I guess, more negatively to kind of point the light uh, uh, to some degree at those that that are not so legitimate. And uh, uh, we don't really directly connect. A lot of people think that we direct capital, for instance. Mm -hmm. We don't. Uh, So uh, what we do at New Cannabis Ventures is really pretty simple from a a reader's perspective. uh, We're just publishing, I I guess, about 15 stories a week. Most of it's aggregated, some of it's original content, but there's a lot of great content out there. And kind of our our pitch to our readers is uh, we spend our full time going over a lot of information and distilling it into what's just important so that we can save our readers time. Absolutely. Yes, and I'm a huge fan of your website, New Cannabis Ventures. I love reading it, and I love reading all of your posts in uh, the Cannabis Investors and Entrepreneurs group that you have on LinkedIn. And Thank being, you. being that you're the watchdog, the way I see it, you're a watchdog of the investing scene. How? What are the negative sides of that? You know, do you go to investor summits and get the cold shoulder for some people, or is it- <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a pretty thick skin? Uh, yes, I, I do have a lot of people that don't like what I'm doing, and uh, you know, I, I try to be as uh, open-minded as I can, but there's sometimes I see things and uh, they're not even criminal necessarily, although I think there is a lot of that. It's really just the people that are out there telling, telling wild stories that aren't defensible. Mm-hmm. And the reason this bothers me so much is that there's some, at the same time, there's some great entrepreneurs. And I feel like these, these people that are out there telling these wild stories are distracting and, and they're really sucking up all the air. And this, this happened in the publicly traded and it's still happening in the public traded markets, but it happens even more in the, in the private market to, from what I've seen. So Absolutely. yeah, maybe some people don't like, like it, but I, I feel like uh, our society is really geared towards people saying nice things and good things. That that's, uh, seems to be the types of stories that people want. Money flows that way. People pay. I don't think people fully appreciate this, but there's so much pay to play where, you know, you pay me and I'll say nice things about you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Absolutely. I, yeah. PR. I PR mean, is press, everything. Press releases that are always coming out. Unless you were to say something, I would just think, oh, wow, these companies are doing really great. And a lot of times, the other thing I've been wondering is nobody has a crystal ball. But with that in mind, how many times have you correctly predicted the rise or fall of a cannabis stock? Of a stock? I don't know. You know, I have to be really that stocks are crazy. I can (laughs) go out there and tell the world that this is a pump and dump and it it can triple on me. So it's not always tied to to reason. So I'm I'm happy to be wrong sometimes. Wrong with like on that, on the price, but I would not be happy to be wrong to say this is a really bad company and learn later that it's a really good company. That that honestly hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Will you talk to us a little bit? So like before the podcast, I, I mean, I've been on both your websites, a huge fan too. And I was reading something I think related to one of your due diligence on uh, the, the Harvard related um, 
I think joint venture or something like that. Yep. But talk to us a little bit about your compliance and how you go through and you can actually perform these watchdog duties. Like what it is, what's it like to be you? Like, what do you do? So, uh, it's not that unique. I think the main thing I like to tell people is I just have time to do what everybody should be doing. Some people may not be familiar with it, but uh, so in the case that you're referencing, mm-hmm. uh, this this is – the listeners might not know, but uh, this is an example of one of the articles where I kind of had to, to be the watchdog. And uh, the company is, is called Cannabis Science, and uh, it trades over the counter. Uh, probably the only nice thing I can say – is that they actually file with the SEC? That's oh, nice. that's nice, right? Yeah, <laughs> <they> actually, <laughs> unfortunately, some of these companies don't, which is really to me criminal. I, I don't get it, but they do file with the, the SEC. And uh, I've been following this company since 2013, and they've been around since 2009, and they've 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 really succeeded at one thing, and that is. Uh, dramatically increasing the number of shares outstanding. Mm. Unfortunately, they don't have much more to say beyond that from what I can tell. They've uh, continually lost money. And the main thing they seem to do is give themselves stock and sell it. And this is all in the public record. So one of the things that I do when I, whenever I see a press release, and not just for a public company, but if I see something that doesn't really jibe, I try to research it. And in this case, uh, I reached out uh, so they put out a press release uh, that was uh, a li- at a minimum a little bit off, and it could have been totally off. It was not. There was some truth to what they said, which is usually the case. There's some truth, but they really misrepresented something. So they – there were two things they I think they misrepresented, but the main thing that I pointed out to in the article was that they claimed that their party was Dana-Farber uh, Harvard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some confusion in this Dana Farber Harvard entity uh, has eight parties that are part of that, and it was just one of those eight, which actually happens to be the Dana Farber Institute that had this arrangement with this company. Now, so that and I reached out to the uh, Dana Far- Farber Harbor Harvard whatever it is. Tongue <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, this isn't the first time they've been wrong. They put out something about how they were in this uh, MedMen dispensary in uh, California. And uh, so I know the people at MedMen, and I was like shocked. And so I called them up, and they said, like, this is a joke that they gave us some stuff to sample. That's all it was. And we never authorized them. But this is what penny stocks do. They try to drum up interest. So in this case, they were throwing around the Harvard name to give them some uh, some cachet with mm. uh, penny stock buyers. And the, the other part that was interesting, they had to come out after my article. And uh, instead of retracting their press release, they, they filed with the SEC a filing saying they had made an error in a press release. So I felt vindicated at least that, that I was correct. Uh, I did reach out to uh, the person from Dana-Farber, and he never got back to me, so yeah. I wasn't really able to understand that. But the other part that was interesting, and they put in this 8K, is uh, that they had to pay $200,000 to this institution. To me, this looks like a glorified donation. But but to answer your question, I, I think what I do is you know, I, I have alerts. So anytime the word cannabis or hemp or marijuana 
shows up in an SEC filing, no matter what, uh, I get an alert and I, I always see. investigate mm-hmm. those things. And I'm following all sorts of press releases and just trying to uh, be a little bit cynical because especially when it comes to penny stocks, but even unfortunately in the rest of the private cannabis space, there's a lot of sensationalism. A man after my own heart with a little dose of cynicism. There's so many snake oil salesmen in in any rush or any boom of any industry and especially this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one question for you, and it's just so fitting for this uh, discussion. We were having a conversation. I'm not sure if it was a client or a colleague this week just about the pink sheets and cannabis stocks. And somebody mentioned to me – that, you know, you'd be surprised if you looked at all the cannabis companies that are trading on the pink sheets and you actually looked at their annual revenue. Uh, And most of it would be less than 50,000. Right. So can you talk to us a little bit? Is is that accurate? Is that something that you're seeing that you can? Okay. So let me give you a a better answer, though, than just yes. Uh, So I I track uh, in North America about uh, ironically, 420 uh, <laughs> publicly traded companies that within the last few years have put out press releases or SEC filings discussing their involvement in the cannabis industry. And uh, the vast majority of these are, are jokes. So it doesn't take a lot of time to figure that part out. But among that group of 420 or so names, uh, many of which are in Canada, which is a much better market, by the way, yeah. uh, many of them do have revenue. Not not that many, but many being like, I don't know, maybe 50 have revenue above 100,000. Okay. I, I didn't I didn't really dig in that, but this is what I wanted to share with you. The number of companies with revenue above $5 million a year, of all those companies that I'm following uh, that are in, in the United States, so that's going to strip out a few in Canada, uh, is 10. Wow. Just 10 companies. And, uh, wow. And I looked at those to see, like, well, are they good investments? And uh, m- many of them are not. And some of them don't even like, uh, well, I don't want to get into it, but yeah. let's just say <laughs> just having revenue doesn't necessarily mean anything because uh, the bottom line was some of them had revenue, 10 of them that have revenue of uh, 5 million a year or more, but uh, none of them had material earnings. Mm. And, and maybe that's not so important, but some of them were losing a lot of money. Yeah. I was just doing a due diligence because I'm, you know, finance CPA for an investor looking to, you know, purchase something. And I looked at this balance sheet and it was just completely flopped, you know, hardly any assets, a ton of debt. And then looking through the equity, tons of issuance of shares. And it's just, I guess my question is to you. What is a company's motivation to go public? I mean, clearly, you know, there's, I think, the the read that's trading on the NASDAQ. So we're, you know, in this industry, it seems like most are going to the pink sheets uh, over the counter. But what is, uh, I guess, the company's motivation really to go public? Yeah. So I, I try to be open-minded about this. Uh, unfortunately, the real answer is self-enrichment. Hmm. Al- almost all the time, it's get rich quick. And there's been some really sad stories of even real businesses. Uh, like, I don't know if you ever uh, heard about the Can Lab story with Jennifer Murray. No. Uh, Can Labs had 50% market share in Denver for oh, the I lab. Oh, I heard about that. 
Yeah. And she lost her company due, due to penny stock manipulation. And, uh, you know, I think she's a little bit to blame. I think and she's a friend of mine. I think she would take some blame, not not for causing the fraud, but for being blind to it and not doing proper due diligence. But, but the the answer why people go public if it's not just self enrichment there really can be two things that people should keep in mind number 1 that uh, the the Nasdaq and New York Stock Exchange aren't really open to these people so mm-hmm. Uh, the, if they're going to go public, it's it's going to be most likely through the OTC. Or we're also seeing more and more companies. They think it might be better to go to Canada to go public. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that or not. Although I'd I'd say I'm less negative than I used to be. But the other thing is this: if you have a real business uh, and you're trying to grow, uh, theoretically, being public helps you to raise capital, theoretically, Mm -hmm. because that gives your investors liquidity. But the problem is that nobody's actually really raising capital, and it's really difficult. There's just a few companies that are actually really raising capital. Unfortunately, what ends up happening is these penny stocks aren't run for uh, you and me and the the investors. They're run for these behind-the-scenes financiers, and you can't find a lot of information about them. And they structure these heads I win tails you lose types of deals and I mean I'll give you a great example because here's a here's a company that people you know really had high hope for I don't know if you've heard of it before it's called my DX yep yeah I mean take a look at that stock chart and this was something that was backed by members of ArcView it had a lot of promise and unfortunately they turned to these financiers and a lot of them and uh, borrowed money on rapacious terms and it came home to roost. And so, uh, you know, without even going into more of the details, which would include maybe some questions about their product itself, but just fundamentally what happened with that company, it's really sad for anybody that ever has invested in that company. They've lost almost all their investment. And, uh, and that's a great example of a company that appeared to be real, Mm -hmm. but took shortcuts and didn't actually raise capital once they went public. Instead, just uh, borrowed money from these toxic uh, lenders. There there are so many investors just jumping into the scene and looking for these types of investments. And it's when you take the people that are passionate that started the companies or they're the ones with the product idea. They don't have the background to know you know, how to be specifically due diligent about the investors that they're going to work Mm -hmm. with. A lot of them are like, you know, oh, my God, I can fulfill my dream now. And this guy is going to back me. And unfortunately, the more investors, the more money, more problems, you know, and and it's sad because it does kill a lot of great ideas. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of greed, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you hit on a big point, especially when it comes to cannabis, both on the founder side but also on the investor side. There are people that are just still can't believe that this is happening. And they throw what for whatever reason, they throw caution to the wind. They just toss their money in because they really believe and then they look back and they've lost all their money, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Well with that said, what are some of the common roadblocks you've seen with investing in the cannabis industry? Is it lack of due diligence? or lack of transparency. Mm-hmm. And what yeah, about 280E? Oh, yeah. Well, 280E is something that – so one, your listeners probably need to understand this, that the, the publicly traded stocks – 
uh, for the most part, aren't really uh, directly involved in the cannabis industry. They tend to be ancillary. There's mm. there's a handful. Uh, interestingly, so the one that most people are familiar with is, is Terratech. Mm-hmm. And they own Bloom Dispensary in Oakland, and they're opening a new Bloom in San Leandro. And then they've uh, opened four dispensaries, and they're supposed to open some cultivation in Nevada. So they're multi-state. And you can look on their filings. I, I think I've actually written about it before. They actually do pay 280E. And I'm sure most of your listeners understand this, but you know these are real examples of how you as a company can be losing money but still pay federal taxes, mm-hmm. which is just unbelievable to me. But that's – unfortunately, nobody has an incentive to change that rule. Uh, the government – they're getting the money. What do they have to complain about? It's, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable. But yeah. uh, uh, so most of these companies don't. Uh, that's not an issue for them. The two eighty e on the private side. I, I tend to get most involved. Uh, you know, to get to know best companies that are probably more ancillary as well. Okay. Uh, I, th- I think companies that are already in business. Don't really have a as hard a time in the cultivation side and dispensary side finding investors. They there seem to be look they're cash flowing and it may be expensive, but they can find investors. It's what, the ones that seem to have more of an issue are, and we ah, gosh I I get probably. 15 inquiries a week. I wish I had a way to help people, but they said, I have this land and we're going to get a license. I just need the money. I I don't really have an answer for that, but so they're not, 280 is not yet a problem for those people because they don't, they're not making, they're not not in business yet. yet. Yeah. 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 Do you find that as well? That, that, that as far as, Oh, I constantly yeah. am. Everybody contacts me through LinkedIn is like, I have this idea. I just need yep. an investor. And yep. then it's like, well, do you have a business plan? Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't need How a do business plan. Do you have projections? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's like, um, yeah. And most investors prefer to have some sort of proof of revenue yeah. and a business plan and financials yep. and these. Yeah, it's. It's it tough. Yeah. And, and then like also on the flip side, so we do work with investors and we work with op, you know, cannabis operators and all of the, like the moment that I am like talking with an investor, you know, looking at the due diligence, whatever, it's like, okay, is there a line item A for 280E? Because normally they're looking to invest in some cannabis operations. And sometimes the investors- hey, What's 280E? Yeah, exactly. They're yes. like, what is 280E? I'm like, wow, okay. So that's the number one thing you should know if you're exactly. investing. It's, yeah, yeah it, I mean, it is a bit crazy, uh, but yeah. And then, I mean, even when you've anticipate and then you look at the financials and you look at your return off of this it's it's complicated and beyond that what's more interesting is when you know people are looking to invest in a cannabis company you know currently in California well it's a not for profit mutual you know Right. Under state law, you have to operate change. as not-for-profit. Therefore, there is yep. no equity, right? And it just gets so convoluted and so hard. And when you talk to an investor, they don't understand that. So it's you know sometimes it's dead or some form of a, a note, but you can't even convert that. So it just gets a little bit crazy. Well, I think what makes it really challenging, uh, and it's just a fact, unfortunately, that federal illegality keeps – middlemen out of the market. So in, in other industries, you would have people that are kind of sitting in the middle of investors and companies and kind of, you know, in a position to only take on good projects and put their name behind good projects and try to raise capital for them. But 
but you know, you don't see Goldman Sachs out there Mm-mm. working on cannabis deals. And I know that's an extreme, but just in general, it, it's unfortunately, there aren't that many intermediaries. And a good example of an intermediary would be like even like a privateer or a Tuatara, but you know, that have raised a lot of capital, but they're not really deploying it into small companies mm-hmm. and startups. Yeah, they're, they're very, funds, right? They're more yeah, like hedge well, they're funds. very targeted. Uh, there aren't that many funds really out there that are targeting like, and I, I run into some really good companies and they do struggle to raise money. And I would, you know, if I were running a fund, I would invest in them. I'm not running a fund, but uh, <laughs> consider investing in them. But they they struggle. A lot of them struggle, and it's it's a lot of effort on their part. And it ends up being, for the most part, unless they have a Silicon Valley flair to their company, and it's a technology play. Uh, if unless it's that, then they're really out there courting individuals, high net worth individuals, accredited investors, and and that's hard. And I think the cannabis industry would be a lot better off if there were some funds that were out there targeting uh, the market. And so, you know, I'm friends with the uh, folks at Poseidon. I don't know if you know yeah, yeah. Uh, Morgan and Emily, but, and they, you know, they don't have that much money under management. They, they're just one fund. If We need a lot more like them, in my opinion, and hopefully it'll get there. I think what it takes is some good exits and the industry's so young right now. Yeah. There, there's not a lot of bragging going on about how much money people have made putting money into this cannabis company and then having that company acquired, for instance. But that kind of buzz would certainly get uh, more professionals interested in, in, in doing that. But I'm starting to see a little bit, which is positive. That's That was actually my next question was what type of return our investor is getting right now, but it doesn't sound like much or for a very long yeah, time well, or many no, of them. I, there haven't been that many exits. So, I mean, how do you get uh, a return. You get a return from profits or from exits. I, I don't think I'm missing anything. Yeah. So uh, there aren't so many profits. Not that I'm aware. <laughs> not 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 in these startups like uh, that I know of. Yeah. They're not. You know, they talk about to them. They're happy if they're approaching cash flow break even. So yeah. that's not a profit. That's uh, and then the exits really aren't there yet. And uh, I think that's going to change. But what, when do you think that the exits will start happening? Like 2020 or what year? You know, so well, certainly it's really easy to say when when we get federal legality. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's a I, I'm not very breath. smart about that. I, yeah. I push back my forecast on that one. And I think anybody that thinks they know when that's going to happen is, is fooling themselves if they think they know when it's going to happen. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. It, Time will tell. I don't really justify why I think the exits are going to happen in the next couple of years. But I think here's how it works, that more people start looking at the industry and you start to see that consolidation because people have proven themselves. And we've gone from the concept mode to proof. And uh, there are some companies that are proving themselves. And uh, like I'm going to just throw one out, uh, not a recommendation or anything like that. I've never seen their financials. uh, So – don't misconstrue me, but a company that's really impressed me and very topical right now is Greenbits out of California, but they, they started in the Washington market. Yeah. Are you familiar with them? 
Yeah, the POS. See, yeah, and they're not yeah, they're great. Bars or anything. And uh, so I just want to make sure everybody knows that. I'm just talking about them because they truly have impressed me. And I would imagine that they're profitable. And I, I know that they're expanding rapidly. And so that to me, you know, uh, you see how, unfortunately, MJ Freeway is having some huge problems this Massive. week. Massive, uh, yeah. And not the first time. Nope. But there, there's a great example of a, uh, a new – a new business just coming onto the scene where there was already kind of an entrenched, uh, you know, entrenched leadership that is just being uh, leapfrogged. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see, you know, maybe one of those guys tried to buy green bits. That would be an example of an exit. But yeah. I don't think uh, they've taken on capital, by the way. I think no, that's, so- that's there are, there are some really cool guys. I remember I met them, you know, actually in Portland last year, like at one of those co-working spaces, like accounting team, engineering team. So they really get, you know, what's going on, you know, like, especially when it comes to, I mean, we talk about this all the time with ERPs and just understanding inventory management and the POS system. Yeah. Like there's not one yet that's been super fantastic. So there's such a opportunity for, if you've got the knowledge and the know-how plus the technology to really and the make insight, an impact. The inside yeah. insight, yeah. you can't just come from any other industry and think, you know, how to do it in the cannabis industry. You just can't, right. you know, so that's the plus of everything getting everyone growing up and having to become more professional as an evolution of the industry will hopefully bring more people into affecting these software programs that are being brought to the industry from outside companies. For sure. So, I mean, I, I think that's where we're headed to where these companies that do exactly what you just said and start to prove themselves, uh, they will be rolled up or acquired. And uh, so I think that's what's going to excite uh, these intermediaries to, to enter the space. I mean, I didn't have anything to lose by coming in because I was already an independent analyst. I wasn't walking away from mm-hmm. a big salary. I had a book of business. But uh, but if, if if you imagine people that are out there professionally investing in, in startups or all that, they, they have a lot to lose right now, reputationally and financially. Yeah. If, well, so. and that brings us to the next question. And then we're going to get to the speed round is what do you think? I mean, so sessions is not yet confirmed likely probably will. I know that there is some uh, pushback from some Democrats uh, on his confirmation. But I mean, beyond that, what do you think this new administration is? How how do you anticipate it's going to affect the industry? Yeah, well, that's definitely the $64,000 question. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> everybody wants to know, and, and uh, <laughs> trying to predict the direction of a loose cannon is not a uh, easy uh, task. Right? So yeah. I, I warned my subscribers, uh, I don't know, four in the morning, five in the morning after that night that we have an overhang. And I was really concerned at first. And now I think it's widely appreciated. And that's that's really important that people are not blindsided. That, But I, I've kind of changed my own thing. Thinking, uh, I'm not. Uh, I'll go on the record and say I am not a fan of Donald Trump at all, for a lot of different reasons. But, uh, but I can appreciate that he's a businessman, 
and that there's there's a big angle that uh, obviously the three of us understand yeah. that may appeal to him. And uh, and I'm not a Jeff Sessions fan at all either. But he said the smartest thing. I listened to all the testimony, and he mm-hmm. said the smartest thing. If the I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but he said if the laws aren't good, Congress needs to change them. Mm-hmm. Bingo. That's what President Obama said as well. And I've been very uh, disappointed. Uh, one of the things I found most interesting in the last few years. Uh, historic in nature was all the legislation, uh, uh, especially what's called the Carers Act, that was introduced by Cory Booker, who ironically was the first senator to ever uh, testify against another uh, senator in a, in a confirmation hearing like he did, was that yesterday or the day before? <laughs> day before. Uh, and this is great legislation. It doesn't legalize cannabis, but it it, it it rationalizes it. It says, you know, we're going to allow research. We're going to allow VA doctors to to do things. Uh, and there's been all this other legislation. And unfortunately, the ironically named Chuck Grassley has mm-hmm. has hung all this stuff up and we haven't had any progress. So President Obama says Congress needs to do this. Uh, Jeff Sessions says Congress needs to do it. I say, come on, Congress, do Let's something. Yeah. I'd love yeah. for them to legalize, but you don't even have to legalize. All they have to do is allow entrepreneurs the confidence of knowing that the rug's not going to be pulled out from under them, which that's what the Cole Memo did in 2013. And that honestly was one of the big reasons I decided to go full time into this industry, because I felt like even though that was just an administrative order, it allowed people to take risk. And nobody wants to uh, try to make money off their great idea, but end up uh, not only losing all your money, but going to jail. And that's unfortunately what a lot of people theoretically face right now. Well, the next step is to get banking. Yeah. Like, I yes, mean, come on. Management. Yeah, if that's the only thing the Congress passes is so that the banks can stop be afraid of taking in all of this right. money. And 280. And, oh, 280. Well, they're not gonna they're never going to get rid let's, of that. No, that no. aside, that's not going to be addressed, unfortunately. Yeah, no, totally. All right, are you ready for the speed round? I'm ready. Okay. Okay, what are three reasons you've been able to build such a strong brand and company? Uh, transparency, integrity, and dedication. Nice. Great okay. As a business leader, how do you make decisions and stay ahead of the market? Uh, lots of hard work. And, uh, <laughs> hours. and Google alerts. And I would say, I know this is a speed round and I, I, I kind of blew it, but focus. And I think that's one of the things, I'm a very uh, focused person. I don't, people ask me questions all the time and I'm like, I don't know if it's not cannabis, I don't know. And I know that's weird, but nice. I think that really helps me. Awesome. How do you think investing will change related to the space as more states regulate one day and, and one day when it becomes federally legal? So I don't think that the state part is what's the big part about changes in investing. I think the changes in investing are going to be more uh, back to the comment I made earlier that the current public markets don't really reflect the real industry. And so I sense that this is going to change over time. It requires some pioneers like this integrated, I'm sorry, that's the wrong word, innovative uh, industrial properties, which is a REIT that just went public on the New York Stock Exchange. It didn't go so well. I'm not that surprised, but I think we're going to see a slow evolution where we just some some of these companies realize they don't have to go to the OTC. They don't have to be pump and dumps. They can do things the right way. And and 
we're starting to see that, fortunately. So I, I think that's going to be the big driver. Just get rid of all these people sucking up all the air and get some real companies that people can invest in. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Two more. If someone is just getting into the industry, what is something that you would recommend that they know? Uh, that they know? Well, yeah. so this is not my own. Uh, I didn't make this up, but I, I think, and you guys alluded to it earlier, Uh if you're getting in an industry, don't try to reinvent yourself necessarily. You, you've already developed your own skills. So know yourself and what your skills are and then figure out how to apply them to the industry. I, I hear that a lot and it's really the smartest thing. I feel like that's what I've done. I'm not out there uh, trying to sell cannabis. I, I don't think that would be my thing, but I can <laughs> help people evaluate companies. That's what I'm good at. Absolutely. All right, final one. How can our listeners find more about you and all you have to offer? Ah, that's easy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the the easiest one, and I, you know, the thing is, is, I have a paid service, which is maybe a little harder to find, uh, but. The free stuff's really easy to find. So newcannabisventures.com. Uh, and there we have, you can, depending on how you like to consume your news, you can sign up for our app. So you're going to get instant notification. Uh, or if you're uh, a busy person and you're not really following things all the time, uh, but want to be updated on the important stuff, we have a weekly newsletter. And then in between there, social media, uh, obviously. Uh, so that's newcannabisventures.com. And uh, if you go there, you'll find all of those other ways to discover us. And then my uh, subscription site for people that are interested in the public markets, uh, 420investor. Com. And uh, I also, for those that like free stuff, uh, publish something uh, every business day of the – every day the market's open, wow. uh, thedailydab.com. Nice. And that's a good way for people just to, to follow kind of what are the big names and what's going on. It's uh, – and, and that's free. So. Perfect. Great. I didn't even know about that. I'm going to check that out. Oh, it's uh, people love it. They get mad if uh, if it's late. <laughs> I'm sure loyal, like, loyal fans. <laughs> yeah. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining the show. You really like shared a ton of insight for us and for our listeners. So, thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. I I appreciate the opportunity and look forward to doing this again. Thank you for listening to part two of the show and joining Kristen and me today. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer or just to ask in general, please join our LinkedIn group, Cannabis Business Minds, and ask us there. Until next week.